that you need to read the scriptures because otherwise you can begin to think of God. You can begin to make him up in your own mind and not really understand who he is. But I'm also convinced that when you read the scriptures, you need to somehow bring them into the current because otherwise they become like an old story and you just get used to it and it loses the tension um, in it. So uh, that's kind of been a passion for me over the years to try to make the scriptures come alive. Uh, and uh, I'm, we're going to talk about a very ancient story. And so this morning I wanted to show it to you a little bit maybe in a new way. So Maggie, would you? No, just move my appointments. I'm running late. No, I'll explain it when I get there. Yeah, yeah, I'm frustrated. What, what else do you want me to say? talking about uh, how it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. We don't know what he's talking about. Do you mind just going back down and explain whatever you guys were talking about, huh? I'm not interested. No, 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 I, I am. I'm just telling you. Peter, no, hey, no. that's enough. How'd you know my name? Everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows the disciple that, uh, that walked on water. I did. I walked on water. It was the most amazing thing. And how you fell in the water. Concentrate on the first part of the story. That's the best part. I walked on water. It was amazing. I walked on water. Anyway, listen. I'm not interested, thank you. What do you mean you're not interested? You were there, you asked him, what should you do to inherit eternal life? And then you like turned away. None of us got it. I mean, most people like accept what he has to I say. I came to help him. What? I wanted to come help this guy. I believed in everything that he stood for. I thought I'd get on his team and help him out. I'd go and talk to him. He asked me, am I doing all these things? I'm doing everything that he asked. And then he says, I'm not good enough. I gotta go do something else. Give up everything to follow him? No, 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 no. No, no, that's not gonna happen. No, but you, you, you don't understand. I mean, I mean, it, it, it is so worth it. I mean, I don't know what he's told you to give up, but all of us, all of us have given up something. I mean, you could talk to any one of us. We've all given up something. You've given up what? You've given up what? What'd you do before you followed him? I was a fisherman. You were a fisherman. So you gave up long hours, rough hands, smelling like a dumpster behind a Long John Silver's. That's what you gave up. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I have? Do you know how you get these kind of things? Yeah, I understand that you, you, you look like you're a real important person and everything, okay? No, no, it's not about being important. I'm a good person. I'm a good man. Right. And I was going to help him. Right, the road to hell is it's paved, paved with, with good intentions. Yeah, I know it. I know it all. And he decides that he's going to make the rules. No, no, no. I'm the one who decides the terms. I'm the one who makes those kind of decisions. What's, what's so valuable that you're holding on to? What is it? I mean, I, look, I don't know what he asked you, but I can tell you this, that's just Jesus. I mean, he looks into people's eyes and he knows what they gotta give up. Everybody holds on to something. Come on, just come back with me, okay? We can work it out, we can talk this out. If you don't have a chance, how do any of us have a chance? Maybe I didn't present the case well enough here. Come on, you could just come back. 
You bought into the lie. Bought into the lie. And so we're moving towards this decision point moment, this baptism celebration in a couple weeks. And so to do that, I wanted to look at decision points. You know, the places in my life and your life where you needed to go left or you needed to go right. See, we love to stay in the middle. I mean, it's just comfortable to not have to decide, to just play it safe, play it, you know, kind of straight. But I want to look at decision points because those are the places in our lives where you just can't hang out in the vast middle anymore or just keep dipping your proverbial toe in the water. It's not good enough. And since we're a church, specifically what I want to look at is, what do we do with Jesus Christ? Because he himself is very clear about one thing. We have to decide, and if you're honest about this, and maybe you've never spent any time really studying Jesus, he's just kind of a, a mythological figure, but if you spend some time with him, spend some time studying him, what you'll see is he calls you to make a decision about him. You have to decide what you're going to do with him and about him. There is no middle ground. He is, C.S. Lewis, I think, put it best, right? He is one of three things. He's either a liar, he knew he wasn't the son of God, and so he just went around telling people that for some reason or another, or he was crazy and thought he was the son of God, or he really was who he said he was, is the Lord, our Lord. And so what we've been doing is looking at what people did with Jesus when he, when he, in his earthly ministry. All of this in preparation for that baptism that's coming up in two weeks, because that's the decision point for us. Now, before we go into this morning's story, I, I want to answer a couple of questions that people ask about baptism. And the first is, who should be baptized? The scripture doesn't give a lot of instructions about baptism. It's kind of fascinating. Um, essentially, it says, my favorite part of the story about baptism is in Acts. There's an Ethiopian guy reading the stories of the scripture. He doesn't understand them. And when they're explained to him, he essentially says, why shouldn't I be baptized? And they find some water and they baptize him. And so your theology does not have to be 100% correct. You don't have to have like all of the ducks in a row. But if you've come to a place where you go, I've come to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to follow him. You should be baptized. It's not my command that you be baptized. I'm not telling you you should be baptized. That's the command of the scriptures. That this is how we identify, this is how we publicly identify with this Jesus. It doesn't have power to save you, but it is a public confession of your faith. Where you get into the water and, and we put you under the water and, and in a sense you are baptized symbolically into the death of Jesus, the death of the old man. And then you are brought up out of the water symbolically into the new life available to us in Jesus Christ. You, if you have not been baptized should be baptized. Maybe you were baptized as a child. I was. Um, and, and I honor the commitment my parents were, were making there um, with me. Uh, but I think the scriptures are clear that you should be baptized as a believer, as one who's come now and made their own choice to follow Jesus. So I, you're not invalidating anything. You're not insulting anything. But you are making a public confession that now I believe uh, my, on my own. Um, and so you should be baptized. Maybe, maybe you've 
walked away from God. Maybe you were baptized at one point in your life and you walked away and you sense, I I really feel God calling me back and I I need to rededicate my life to the things of God. I think you should get in the water in two weeks and do that. Now, maybe you have a child and and you're thinking, well, I want to get my kid baptized. Let me give you some background on that. There is no scripture. It's not like in Deuteronomy 6 it says, you know, thou shalt not baptize anybody under the age of 10 or something. That's not in there. So this is really on you as parents to kind of decide, is my child old enough that they're making a cognizant adult decision to follow this Jesus? Joan and I, we, you know, our kids have kind of grown up in the church and watching this along the way. And so they came to us, each of them, on their own to say, this is the year I want to get baptized. Oftentimes we didn't know. In fact, last year... Um, I didn't know that my daughter, who was 13 at the time, had decided that she wanted to do this. She wanted to make a public proclamation of her faith um, before everybody. So I'm standing on the shore and uh, baptizing people, and in walks my precious little 14-year-old daughter. And here's a, a picture of that moment that, uh, that was captured for me. So I can't look at that too much. I'll get upset. But, um, <laughs> but my friend, one of my friends in the church knew how much it meant to me, and so he took it off Facebook and went and got this picture made for me. So... This uh, sits on my desk at home. It was a profound moment for me. So that's a discussion you parents should have. Um, but this is something, this is one of the things that we're commanded to do. So as your pastor, I, I'm saying to you, if you haven't considered being baptized, um, this is a decision point moment, uh, and you should think it through. And so this morning you have cards um, that say, I'm, I'm, I've decided I'm going to do this. And I would encourage you this morning, if the Lord is speaking to you this morning, that you make that commitment, you put your name down on there. Now, I know you might go, well, I said, how many of you saw the video? Did you see the video? If you saw the video, right? If you haven't seen the video, go on Facebook and look at that video. And I know you might look at it, you might, I was some guys in there that were pretty muscled up and all the rest, and you go, I don't look like that. Well, all right, join the crowd. I don't look like that either. Um, Maybe you saw people giving testimonies and they were really like good testimonies, and you go, oh man, I can't talk like that. Look, you don't need to talk like that. I mean, if you say to me, John, I'm embarrassed to talk in front of people, that's fine. All I'm going to ask you is, have you come to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is? And if you say yes, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that in two weeks. So if the Lord is speaking to you through these talks on decision points, please, there's going to be an offering plate in the back on the, um, on the sound booth. Put your card in there and put your T-shirt size down because we want to get a T-shirt for you. You'll wear it that day. Now... Let me go through a couple things here. If you were here last week, uh, we looked at a decision point of a guy named Nico, we were calling him. Uh, Nicodemus, his Italian nickname was Nico. Because I was trying to bring a current, right? And it's this fascinating story, and I never really knew it about Nicodemus. You know, many of us know the John chapter 3 story, right, about Nicodemus. But but what we didn't realize is that he progressed from coming to Jesus kind of at night where no one would know he was there to one day having to stand up in front of the whole council in Israel and acknowledge that he was now a follower of Jesus. Nicodemus made a really bold choice regarding Jesus, and there's no doubt it cost him something. But as Jesus said himself, I have a son that's going to work on Wall Street. He's got a really cool job. I mean, he's doing something. I don't even, you know, I have a CFA. I don't know if you know what that is, but I don't even know what he's doing. He's trading derivative products. Uh, and I said to him, you've got to be very careful because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose your soul? And Nicodemus came to a choice where he said, I would rather lose who I am as a human being in this council and being the religious guy in authority and follow Jesus. 
but he gained life, real life, now and into eternity. See, if you've come to know Jesus, if you really are in this relationship with him, one day you are going to pass from this life into the next, and you're going to get to talk to Nicodemus. This is going to be fascinating about how he stood up in the council that one day. Now, this morning I want to look at the story of another guy and his decision point. And in some ways it's a man very much like Nicodemus, but he came to a different decision. Jesus actually says it would be better for you to say no than maybe. That's in Revelation. But. So as we begin, I, th I think what you'll see both today with this guy and with Nicodemus is that they were both coming to decision points. But these decision points, and guys, it's important you understand this. These decision points that Nicodemus and the person we're talking about today, they were fueled by misinformation and bad assumptions. You know the old saying? Okay, do you guys know the old saying about what happens when you assume? Who knows that saying? Raise your hand if you know that saying. What happens when you assume? See, I was going to put that in this week's weekly email, but I thought it might get me fired, so I, I didn't put it in there. But if you don't know that old saying, you know, ask the person next to you on the way out, and they'll tell you what happens. Yeah, but something bad happens when you assume, when you make bad assumptions, or when you listen to bad information. You get bad decisions. And you see this all the time, right? Uh, the last bunch of wars we've stumbled into, uh, depending, it doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum, uh, the wars were fueled by bad information. We see this with financial trades, uh, bad decisions, uh, bad information, bad, you know. We see this in marriages. We see it in parenting. Like, I, am the, I think I know how to parent. I don't know how to I think I know things about my kid. I didn't know. It could go on and on. Bad assumptions lead to bad decisions. Now, perhaps this is nowhere more true than in our understanding about God. Because you have assumptions, and I have assumptions about God, things we assume to be true about him. But if we have bad assumptions and misinformation about God, that could be pretty dangerous. About, because it could lead us to waste this one and only life that we have. And what the scripture says is bad assumptions could lead you to bad eternities. Let me give you an example about about what I mean, about how, how we have assumptions about things. Our culture, heck, maybe even just as human beings, we've shared a giant assumption uh, over the years. Maybe it's the greatest assumption that's ever been true, man. You'll see in a second. Now, assumptions aren't all black and white, okay? Everybody doesn't feel this way, but they're commonly shared truths about what's good and what's bad, for example. There's this commonly held truths about what's good and what's bad. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures. This is going to be the audience participatory section of the sermon. You ready? I got to go to a Baptist church, I'm telling you. Are you ready? All right, see, now we're fired up and ready to go. Here's what we're going to do. All right, I'm going to show you some pictures, and what you're going to do, and now listen, don't overthink this. Don't spiritualize this. Up. I'm going to show you a picture, and you're going to say, good or bad? Can you handle that? All right, this is what we're going to do. We'll start with, with food, all right? We'll just start with food. Um, so, <laughs> all right. See, this is what I like about second service. First service, a couple of those overthinkers said bad. And I said, see, you're lying. You know, you're... All right, good, right? All right, see it? You're clearly good. All right, next. Oh, that's fantastic, right? We share this, a good, bad, it's easy call. Next. <laughs> bad. That's not quite enticing, okay? 
So all of us, get, we can categorize whether there's good and there's bad. Now, it's not just true with food. Um, we, we take these assumptions and we overlay them on everything. We overlay them on animals. You want to see? Wait, wait, let's just see our, this first one. What's all was not a choice in the, in, in the thing. What is that? Good. How about this one? Like, you just presume Satan made that thing, right? Like, there's no way God made that thing. It's hideous. But apparently he did, right? And so we also presume these things about people, right? I'll give you an example. Okay, ready? Good or bad? You ready? All right, here we go. Good. Okay, but how, how about this? <laughs> I couldn't resist. I'll edit it out of the video for later. See, almost universally, we think this way. Good and bad. And, we, and, and because we have an amazing ability to construct God in our own image, we tend to think that because we think a certain way, God thinks a certain way, we tend to think that God sees people as either good people or bad people based on what they do. And God, here's what, here's what we think. God loves good people. See, you got this when you were a little boy, right? When I, was a, when, I did, when I did right things, my mom would say, Johnny, you're such a good boy. And when I did things that were wrong, my mom would say, Johnny, you're a bad boy. And good boys get treats, and bad boys get? Okay, so they, see? See, this is deep in here, okay? And so this is what we assume God works the same way, right? And, and so God loves good people, and good people go to heaven, and God does not like bad people, and so bad people go to hell. This is a widely held view. This is... You should study this. It's very interesting. This is probably the most widely held view of anything ever in the history of humanity. Okay, that's a bold statement. But here's what I'd like you to consider. Every religion on the face of the earth, every major religion anyway, focuses on this same thing. If you, if you saw some of the Muhammad Ali funeral this week, you heard some of these same things, which is this. God rewards the good people with heaven and punishes the bad people with hell. If you're good enough, most religions will tell you, if, you're good, if you have enough check marks in the good column and they outweigh the bad column, then you get in. But if you have one more screw-up than you have good, well, then you're out. And so you can see the impact that that would have here on earth. If you believe that at deep places, and listen, even those of us that understand theology well, this is in here. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And I, I, I've spoken with people that literally have gotten the bad call from the doctor and have only had so much time left, and, and they just have said they've come to me. And I, I literally have heard them say, I don't know if I've done enough. I can't sleep at night. I'm so worried that I haven't been good enough. This assumption, this assumption, you know what happens when you assume? This assumption... 
this bad information about who God is and what he's doing, brings both Nicodemus last week and this young man we're about to meet this week to Jesus. Because here's the deal. They both believe this assumption that good, moral, religious people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's, it's what they were trained in. They live under the system of good and bad. And it, when you live under the system of good and bad, that there's good people and bad people, when you live that way and you wrestle with, am I good enough? It always leads to the same question. Always leads to the same question. So let's enter the story. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, Jesus out teaching publicly, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And so here's Jesus doing some public teaching. On the road, lots of folks around, and a man ambles up to him, a man sheepishly in the back kind of raises a finger and goes, quick question. And the scripture says purposely, he runs to him, and when he runs to him, he falls down onto his knees. Now, have you ever needed or wanted to talk to an important person? And, you know, it's kind of, you feel a little awkward uh, about talking to him. Maybe I, I, you ever wanted to talk to your boss about something at work, and it's like, mm, how am I going to talk to him about this? It's very difficult. Um, so you're trying to figure out just the right time, you know, Maybe when he's at the water cooler, that's a good time. Urinal, you know, and that might be a bad time. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll catch him in the parking lot and just pretend accidentally I ran into him, right? And so for this guy, this was more important than that. It was, you know, he, this is not Nicodemus last week coming at night, kind of slinking up. This is public. This is important. This is I'm falling on my knees before you. Nicodemus, he came at night, he kept it quiet for a while, he had a lot to lose, and so maybe initially in this story it seems like this guy doesn't. But here's something else we learn about this, this young man. In other, uh, the gospel records the story in, in other areas. In, in these other areas, we, we hear that, and by this is a historic event, this actually happened, this isn't a parable, it's a true story. They describe this guy as being wealthy and a ruler. Uh, historians believe he was likely a lay leader in the church. So he's like a good religious guy that, that had, had been accumulated a lot of stuff. The, the, everybody assumed he had been blessed by God. He was a good Jewish boy. He'd done well for himself. And if you know the Bible, right, you know we're looking at the story of the rich young ruler. Now, listen, I run a, I run a ministry here. And here, you know what I would love to have a church full of? Rich young rulers. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you know, Jesus, do you know what you could do with a rich, young ruler? I mean, he's got money and resources, and he's young. You know, that's a good demographic, Jesus. Good, good to get the young folks involved in the church. And Jesus, he's a ruler. He's got some authority and power. This is the kind of guy you can build the church. You can build your movement on a guy just like this, Jesus. Jesus doesn't, see, Jesus doesn't think like you and I think. And so, unlike Nicodemus, the rich young ruler, he, he too has much to lose. But he seems willing to risk it. He doesn't come at night, he comes very publicly, he runs and he falls to his knees. And why? Because he has a question to ask. It's a very important question. It's the exact same question Nicodemus came to ask Jesus the week before. And it's the same question you and I will, will spend our lives asking if you believe in the good versus bad theory of heaven. 
So here's what he asks. Good teacher, he says. What do I got to do? <laughs> Same question as Nicodemus. What do I got to do to go to heaven, to get, to get eternal life? Now, here's what I want you to see. That word good there, that doesn't mean like he recognized Jesus as a good teacher. Like there's other teachers in town, Jesus, but you're the best teacher. This word good in the Greek, it meant like morally upright and pure, like literally good. Jesus, he's saying, I identify as you as somebody that is a morally righteous person because the underlying assumption was people who are good and right, these are people that God loves and they go to heaven. And so when you live this way, it always leads to this same question. What do I got to do? Same assumption as Nicodemus. And so here comes Jesus again, and it's just it's the brilliance of Jesus. He never really answers questions the way you want them answered. He always goes right to the heart of things. So Jesus says uh, in Mark verse 18, chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus looks at him and goes, this is a great question. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Now, if you are here last week, right, we, we saw what Jesus taught Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, let me, Nicodemus, cats, you know, okay, you had to be here for the sermon, but cats give birth to cats, and pigs give birth to pigs, and dogs give birth to puppies, and humans give birth to humans, and humans have a brokenness in their DNA. They are, they are born disconnected from God. They, they are born with sin in them already. It just comes to fruition. So in a sense, Jesus was saying, this is, there are no good human beings. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you should know this. There is no one good except for God. And so he, he immediately gives Nicodemus this decision point moment, right? His, if you're saying I'm good, if you're saying I'm good, yeah, church, listen, if you're saying he's good, Maybe he's not just a prophet. I mean, maybe he's not just a humanitarian. Maybe he's not just like uh, Allah. Maybe he's not um, just like Gandhi. Maybe he's God. And so this rich young ruler, this young uh, successful guy, he's got his mind blown after about three seconds of an interaction with Jesus. He's wrestling with that in his mind about, well, wait a minute, maybe, uh, can you be good? And if you are good, maybe you are good. And so he's got that going on. But then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to, to give him uh, an answer that he wants more, that he's more familiar with. He says, okay, Jesus goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to play, I'm going to enter into your good versus bad thought process. So Jesus says to him in, in verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your mom and dad. Anybody know where those are from? Ten Commandments, right? We love the Ten Commandments, right? Because we feel like that would, if we could do those, then we're good. And then if we're good, what do we do? We go to heaven. And if we can't do them well, well then we're bad, but we, we can do them. And so he says exactly what you and I might say. Teacher, he said... He says, this is good news. It works just the way I thought. He declared, I've done all those things since I'm a good boy. This is what we do, right? This is the ritual ruler saying what everybody says. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't stolen from work. I mean, okay, look, sometimes I curse a little bit. But overall, I'm a pretty good person. But here's the deal. It's the same thing that happened to Nicodemus last week, happens to the rich and rural today. He knew all that when he showed up. But there is something deep inside of us that this behavioral modification way to getting to God will never satisfy. 
There's always something in you. It was in the soul of Nicodemus. It was in the soul of the reformers, people like Martin Luther, who, who would come just like maybe you and I would, and would say, trying to relate to God by behaving well just kind of leaves me cold and lacking and distant. And so even though I understand Jesus, Nicodemus comes. Even though I understand Jesus, here comes the rich young ruler. Now, you got to get this, okay? There's a verse in the Old Testament. It's a pretty famous verse. It says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the? God looks at the heart. And in Jesus' ministry, when he's teaching, he's never teaching about outward behavioral change. Outward behavioral change is important, but it comes from an inward transformation. And so Jesus is always talking about this in thing, this inward truth. And that comes through belief. Remember last week we talked about this is not behavior. It's not about behavior. It's about belief. And so Jesus says, look, this is not about a religion. It's always been about a relationship. I, I was, I, I have kids, many of you have kids. I love my son. I'll, I'll pick one of my boys. I, I love my son. And I, my deepest desire is not for my son to obey me. If my son thought my deepest desire for for him was that he took the garbage out. And if he kept taking it out because he thought I was going to beat him if he didn't, that's not my desire for my son. That's, my son's relationship to me is limited to him performing good things, hoping that I don't hurt him. And that's not what God is doing with you and with me. This is about a relationship I don't care if my son takes out the garbage. What I want is my son's heart. And that out of his love for me would do things that, I, that please me. I don't care if he takes the garbage out. If you know this story, here's something you might never have caught before. Jesus left out some commandments. He didn't give all ten. Anybody notice that? He actually kind of gives the last six or so of the commandments. He tells him things that he could have done, in a sense, at least outwardly. But check out what he didn't ask him. He said, young man, he didn't ask him these because the young man couldn't have, could have answered yes to them. What are the other commandments? What do the other commandments have to do with the first four? Number one, you shall not have any other gods before me. Because I love, I'm a jealous God. I love you. I want you. Number two, you shall not make idols. Don't think that your riches and your wealth and your success and your fancy car and your big house and your nice name can save you or can help you. Don't, don't raise something up to be more important to you than me. It's going to kill you. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Please don't think this is just about like putting the, you know, the dam next to God. That's legalism, okay? This is about not, not using, not tossing around the importance of God, like not, not making God your co-pilot, okay? Like just vainly, they, vainly like this God is just here for, for you and your means and your ends, and I'll just use him as I deem fit. That's not, I, that's not what I would desire of my son, and number four, you have an amazing propensity, people, and so do I, to forget the Lord your God. So here's what you, could you make some time for me? Could you make some time? 
And so the question rings true today. Oh, Morris County wealth. Have you put some gods before him? Have you made other things idols? Have you pretended that Jesus was just here to be a means to your ends? Have you made any time for him? Now, if that bothers you when you hear that and you start to think, yeesh, you need to hear the next verse. Because here's what it says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him, at you, at me. Jesus looked at him in his idolatry. Jesus looks at us in our brokenness. Jesus understands and sees our bad assumptions. He looked at him and his heart broke for him. And he loved him. He looked at him and loved him despite the fact that he was not good and he had not kept all the commands. He looked at him and he loved him even though the young man did not want Jesus. He just wanted heaven. He looked at him and loved him because even though he just wanted to use Jesus as a means to his own end, he looked at him and loved him even though he just wanted Jesus to be genie Jesus and provide for him what he wanted. He looked at him and loved him even though he didn't care about Jesus. He just wanted to go to heaven. You and I are like this. Anytime, guys, anytime we think about or are concerned about going to heaven, our primary thought is about going to heaven or thinking about, and when we think about that, when we think about what heaven's like, if, it has, if in our minds it has nothing to do with being excited about being close to Jesus, you're likely walking down a wrong street. Yesterday, I was sitting out uh, in my backyard at my pool. Yes, I have a pool. And most of the time, I'm not pleased that I have a pool because it's, if you have a pool, can I get an amen? <laughs> but it was a nice day yesterday, and the pool was, for a, one moment in time, blue and clean. And uh, as I sat there, I was thanking God for this backyard I have. And I was sitting in my, my little chair, I'm just saying, Lord, I'm sorry, you're so good to me, Lord. You're just so good to me. I was just thinking about how blessed I've been. And I had this experience with God just sitting in my chair. Um, and I know these things, okay? I know them, but I experienced it a little bit yesterday where I felt like God said, John, I'm just so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you, man. I just love you so much. I'm so happy to give this to you. I just love you. And like, I, I never felt like that, like, like that my dad was proud of proud, me. Like God was proud of me. I'm just so proud of you. I just love you so much. And so, Jesus, yet, while we were still sinners, while the young man didn't really want a relationship with Jesus, he just wanted to go to heaven, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the scriptures go on, and Jesus says to him, because, and Jesus' heart is breaking, because he knows. He knows. Jesus looked at him and said, okay, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. Jesus gives them the wrong answer, guys. You ever catch that? Jesus actually gives them the wrong answer. Let me explain this. This is theologically incorrect. If, I, if one of you were taking a licensing exam to be a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and you wrote that, you would fail. 
If one of you comes up to me after church today and says, how do I get to heaven? And I tell you to sell all of your stuff and take me out to lunch, that's going to get me fired. Now, I'm going to be at 90 Acres having a nice lunch, but it's not going to be because I gave you the right answer. And some of you know, because this has been misunderstood, this story has been misunderstood over the years, because people mix this story with bad assumptions about God, that it's about, it's about right behavior and not belief, that it's about religion and not relationship. Over the years, people read this and go, oh, that's it, good versus bad, sell your stuff, stuff is bad, give the money away, and then I'll be good. This is not about that. That's not, dude, people are taking vows of poverty. Yeah, God isn't calling you to take a vow of poverty. I mean, he might be, but in general, he's not. That's not what Jesus was doing here. Other thing, over time, people at the church, and unfortunately, has used this incorrectly to try to get people to give money to the church. This verse is not about giving money to the church. Giving money to the church comes out of a heart so tied into Jesus, so believing in his work, that you say, man, I want to join him in his work. I understand that being wealthy is dangerous for me. This is not, this is, this is why the Bible says give, give out of a joyful heart, not because you feel compelled. Jesus didn't say, give me the money. You know, it's really rough out here on the roads. The boys and I, I got nowhere to lay my head. Maybe if you'd cough up some of your riches to me and these 12, we could get ourselves a little place and start a building project or something. Jesus didn't want the money. It has nothing to do with the money. It had to, here's what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted his heart. He wants the same thing I want from my son. Imagine me saying to my son, give me, give me your money, get rid of your money. It has nothing to do with the money, it was about his heart. And this is what Jesus was exposing, because this young man did not want Jesus, he wanted heaven. He wanted to be young and rich and religious and well thought of and assured of his place in heaven. I'm going to get all my ducks in order. For him, Jesus was an add-on. He, he, he wanted behavior, he could control that, and religion, but he still wanted to, to be in charge of his own life. Money for him is riches, and this is why Jesus warns my wealthy friends, and listen, we're all wealthy relative to the story of humanity. This is why Jesus warns about money more than any other thing. Money for him was his God. It gave him his position, his authority, his reputation, his stuff, his comfort, his security. Money was his idol. This is why Jesus didn't ask him about those things. Jesus was just an add-on for him. I have it all, and by the way, not only do I have it all right here, I'm going to heaven too. I see this so much in modern Christianity, it really sickens me. As if like, you know, I, I can have it all here, and I'm going to get a fire insurance policy, Jesus is going to provide me fire insurance. Jesus is nobody's add-on. The Bible says, here's the story, the Bible says the man's face, what Jesus said this, fell. And he went away sad, because he had great wealth. And there was this decision point. That was this time. You could go left or you could go right. Was Jesus a teacher? Was he a prophet? Was he a good moral man? Or was he God? Was he an add-on to my life to just make sure I get into heaven later on? Or was he indeed my life? And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples... How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples, look at this, the disciples were amazed at those words. Why? Because they had been taught over and over that God loves rich people, that's why they're rich. And poor people God doesn't like, they must be bad, that's why they're poor. 
You see this in other places in the scripture. They believe that healthy people were blessed by God. God loves healthy people. And people that were sick, God doesn't like sick people. It's deep in us. And so the disciples go, wait, what? What do you mean? How, the rich, if the rich can't get in, who can get in? And so Jesus says again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not because Jesus doesn't, it's not because God doesn't like the rich. He's trying to disassemble an entire religious system. And again, here's what the scripture says. The disciples are even more amazed now. And then, because, because the disciples, hear this church, the disciples, the disciples, because this right, wrong, good, bad thing is so deep inside of us, the disciples, after following Jesus, then go, well, who then can be saved? Same question. Good, bad always leads to the same question. Well, who can be saved? If the rich can't get in, if the ones who are favored by God, if the ones who can give money and do lots of work, if they can't get in, then who's going to get in? If the way to heaven isn't by keeping the commands, if the way to heaven isn't by being religious, if the way to heaven isn't by being good, if the way to heaven is not by giving money or going on mission trips, if the way to heaven isn't helping old ladies across the street, if the way to heaven isn't getting confirmed in a church service, if the way to heaven isn't becoming a pastor... If those aren't the way to heaven, how can I get there? I had a friend that told me, coming from a different religious background, because I'm a pastor, it's now guaranteed that my mother is going to heaven. I said, what? This is deep in us. If, if none of those things matter, how do, how do you go to heaven? When the scripture says Jesus looked at the disciples now, just like he had looked at the rich young ruler. Jesus looks at them, full of love, and he says, you see, you're right. With man, this would be impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Jesus says, you're right. It is impossible for you to get to heaven. There's nothing you can do to get there. You can't be good enough. The rich aren't getting in because they're rich, and the religious aren't getting in because they go to church. And the pastors aren't going in, getting in because they preach. The kids aren't going there because they're cute. It's impossible for you to be good enough to get there. But all things are possible with God. You getting eternal life. By the way, church, getting eternal life begins now. The life that is eternal starts now. It just continues when your physical body dies. This is God's work, not yours. God saves you. You don't save yourself. This is what God did for you. This is what God does in you. It has nothing to do with what the guy in the video said, what you can do for him. Do you know what you have to offer him? Nothing. You have nothing to offer him. He just wants your heart. Jesus would go on and tell his disciples, and he would tell you and I, you did not choose me, I chose you. It's not about behavior, it's about belief, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. And so what? And so what's the way? If it's none of those things, what's the way? John chapter 17, Jesus would say this. I'll give it to you very clearly. This is the way. You want to know how to go to heaven? This is the way. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ 
the one you sent to earth. That word know there does not speak about knowledge, historical facts. There's an intimacy to this word know. I don't know about my wife. Her parents didn't give me a book to study on her. I know my wife intimately and deeply and passionately. It doesn't mean I'm a perfect husband, but what it does believe is I understand what pleases my wife. I understand what hurts my wife. I don't just believe that my wife existed at one time. I don't just study things that she might have said in the past. My relationship with my wife is not contained to a picture I hang on my fireplace or a ring I wear on my finger. It's not confined to a tattoo you put on your arm or a picture you hang in your home or a cross you put on your neck. Jesus is calling you and I away from all of those religious systems to himself, to the present, to a current experiential relationship, intimate and passionate and of highest priority. And when it's that, when it's no longer for you about religion or about getting into heaven or a fire insurance policy, when it's about Jesus and getting him and finding him, he is the the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. When you find him, you have found the very source of life in this one and on to the next. See, it's not what you think. Jesus if you, go, if you go to funerals, you hear this verse all the time. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said in John 14. You believe in God, believe in me. And then he tells this kind of funny story. My father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'm going to take you to be with me and you'll be where I am. Look, I don't have time to get into this. This is wedding language. Remember I was telling you about how I know my wife? This is Jesus. He's repeating what a young Jewish man would would say, a bridegroom would say to his bride after she accepted his his proposal. He would say, I'm going back to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a room there for us. And when my father tells me it's good enough for us, I'm going to come back and get you. This is Jesus wanting your heart, not your behavior. This is Jesus answering the question for all of us who have had bad assumptions. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he tells him, I love this. John 14, 4, he goes, you know the way to where I'm going. You know the way. And here, here's the disciples again just doing what we do. They, Thomas, who would later on pick up a cute nickname, Doubter, Doubting. Jesus, uh, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So as the band comes up, maybe you thought Jesus was a good teacher. Maybe you thought he was equivalent to, to, you know, all the other great teachers the world has seen, a wonderful moralist, a man ahead of his time. Maybe you always thought all religions just led to the same place, but if you study the life and the words of this man, he will not let you stay in the middle ground. If you will take him at his word, he requires of you a decision. In fact, Jesus later on in Revelation would go go on to say, it would be better for you to say no than to say maybe. And what he would, would say to you is not some exclusive, isn't it a narcissistic God that he demands he's the only way? That's not what's coming. That's not the heart of Jesus. What Jesus is saying to you is, there is no other God. There is nobody else coming for you. There's nobody else coming for you. Come. 
and follow me. And maybe you're, you're here because I think this is where a lot of us are. Maybe you've treated Jesus as an add-on. You're a good person. You're a good person. You just want the American dream. You know, I just, I, I want to have, a, I want I want stuff and I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die. Maybe you've lived a little bit as a Christian, but an atheist at the same time. Your, your faith has been one of portraits and bumper stickers and behavioral modifications, but there's no passion to it. It's not alive at all. Maybe you never heard the words that I heard at the pool yesterday. Where you literally heard your father say to you, I am so in love with you, John. I am just so proud of you. I mean, if, if, you, if you would just realize, if you're willing, you can have eternal life right here and right now in this room this morning forever. It, it's being offered to you. He looks at you and he loves you. You just have to let go of the dying world and, and these dying bodies and latch on to a new source of life. He's looking at you and loving you. He will not be a means. He cannot be a means to any other end. Any other end leads to death. Come to him so that you might live. And finally, I know that there's some people, I know some in the room, you've lived under such a burden of guilt, just this feeling of, oh, I can't be good enough. I, I know. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. I mean, you're the opposite of the rich young ruler, right? You would never say to Jesus, I, I've got it all together. You would say, I, go away from me because I, I'm, I, I've, got a, I've got a past. I've got a screw-ups. I've got sins. I've got illicit relationships. I've got bad choices. I've got things that I... You have something you wouldn't share with me? Because I have stuff I wouldn't share with you. As scripture says, there's, there's, gonna, there's an evil force that whispers in your ear, see, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. The scripture says he looks at you and he loves you. I have great news for you. If you would come to Jesus Christ, you would not just get forgiveness because maybe you just wanted some forgiveness. If you will come to Jesus Christ, you will get Jesus Christ, the way the truth, and the life. Father, I pray over your people that as your spirit moves in the room, convicts us of sin, points us towards you, that all of our bad assumptions would start to fall away, that we would hear the words about how you sing and rejoice over us. Lord, that there'd be men and women in the room right now that would hear maybe for the first time, even like I did at the pool yesterday, that, that you're, those you, you love would hear you say, I'm so proud of you. I just love you so much. I love giving you. Good, every good and perfect gift comes from me. And Lord, for those that haven't gotten to a point of decision, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move them there in power this morning they would come forward, step forward and step into that lake in two weeks and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's sing.